people talking about the preeminence of Christ. And so while we continue to talk about Christ's superiority, we'll title this message, The Supremacy of Christ in Reconciliation. So we've looked at His preeminence in redemption. In His blood we have redemption, even in the forgiveness of sins and creation. All things were created by Him and for Him. And by Him, the word of His power, all things are held together and consist. And then supremacy of God in the church. We briefly looked at Christ is preeminent over the body, which is the church of Jesus Christ. And there, through the church, He might have the preeminence because it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Now, beginning in verse 20, Paul now turns us toward reconciliation. He would say in verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. Now what is the difference in redemption and reconciliation? Is Paul kind of splitting theological hairs here. If we had to distinguish the difference, redemption is speaking of the act of substitutionary atonement, where expiation and propitiation took place. Expiation the removal of something out of, the removal of guilt, how? Propitiation for, because God's wrath is satisfied. Where was the guilt removed? Where is God's wrath satisfied? In the blood of His cross. Redemption. Reconciliation now is where redemption is moving. Reconciliation means to restore harmony. It's a relational term. The aim of redemption is relationship with God through Christ. So now Paul is moving to reconciliation. Having made peace, and these two words are connected, means to establish harmony. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile, restore harmony. So the first thing we look at, the supremacy of Christ in reconciliation is cosmic reconciliation. In some sense, reconciliation is and will be universal. All things. Paul has used that phrase now the sixth time. And it's clear he is talking universal. There is nothing for which all things is not including. Nothing. And so Christ, in some sense, is going to reconcile. He's going to bring and restore harmony for everything and in everything. Everything. In 1982, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder released a hit song titled Ebony and Ivory. They were expressing the uh, reality of how ethnic groups cannot live together. So the song goes, Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony, side by side on my piano, keyboard, oh Lord, why don't we? Of course, the keys on the piano live right together, and it appears when you play them, unless I play them, they are not in harmony. Maybe if you play them, they sound very well and live together. The problem with the song is twofold. One is they didn't go far enough with the question. The question is, why doesn't anyone live in harmony? This is not just about ethnic tension. The reality is, why doesn't anyone on the planet, live in perfect harmony? Because they don't. And they didn't answer the question. 
And the reason is because of Adam's sin. In Adam's singular bite, whatever the fruit was, we don't know. Perhaps you sometimes imagine an apple. It doesn't say that. It was the forbidden fruit. By one taste of the apple, the ramifications of that one act immediately on humanity and immediately upon everything then began to work itself out through the entire cosmos. Universally, Adam's sin has affected every created thing, even the things we know nothing about in the universe or in the depths of the Mariana Trench where nobody knows what's going on down there. Adam's sin has brought what? A disharmony. If you think about what the opposite of harmony is, disturbance, tension, discord, dissonance, violence. Adam's sin has brought irreconcilable differences to the cosmos with the Creator God. Christ through the blood of His cross, is in the process and is going to reconcile everything to Himself. Whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, all things will be reconciled to Christ. The reality is, beloved, is the cosmos, the universe, is a broken universe by that one act of treason and treachery by Adam. The entire cosmos is broken and in need of reconciliation. Think about the ways this disharmony has affected humanity. Right after the forbidden fruit, shortly after, one brother kills another brother. And ever since that time, you have men against men, hating one another, abusing one another, defiling one another, killing one another. There's no harmony in the universe. The animal kingdom, animals kill each other. That's not in a perfect world. That's not in heaven. They kill each other. Animals kill people. Men kill animals. Sorry, hunters, there's no hunting in heaven. There's no death there. Fine now, but not there. Diseases, plagues, pestilence, viruses, COVID-19, cancer cells, leukemia, a host of diseases and viruses that we probably haven't even named yet, all because a singular bite from a piece of forbidden fruit, treachery and treason against the holy God, has impacted the entire system. Earthquakes, hurricanes, Snowstorms, landslides, floods, natural disasters, calamities of every kind. They were not in God's pure world and they will not be in the next one. They are here because of Adam's sin. The whole system is broken. And the aim of Christ is to reconcile the whole system. To himself. The word unto is ice. It can mean unto, toward, or for. Paul has used this word already when he said, All things created by him and for him. 
all things will be reconciled for Christ. Just as far as the condemnation and the destruction and the decay of Adam's bite goes, that's just how far the benefits of Christ's blood extends to the entire cosmos and to every created being in one way or another. Paul would say in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage, the slavery of corruption or decay. The whole creation shall be delivered from its slavery of constant decay. Everything is in a constant state of decay. What is this moment in time in the future? Into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. When you're liberated, the cosmos will be liberated. Waiting for the redemption or the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. That future aspect of redemption. The blood has been poured. He died. The blood is being applied. And one day, the redemption of our bodies will be the ultimate outcome of having made peace through the blood of His cross. You remember this language in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10 where Paul would say, wherein God has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He had purposed in Himself, so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things, whether they be things in heaven or in earth. Paul just switches the order there. In heaven and in earth, all things will be reconciled, will be gathered together in Him. And the phrase there, gathered together, means to sum or to condense into a summary. A sum is simply putting all things together, putting several things together. When you condense something into a summary, you you bring it to a concentrate, a focal point, to a main statement, a main purpose. Upon the resurrection of Christ... The fullness of the ages ended, and now the fullness of the coming ages has started in this gospel age. And the end of this reconciliation, the end of this summary statement will be as we have been speaking about, or Paul rather, the supremacy of Christ in everything. He will be shown as the King Supreme over all things. And everything will be summed up and put in its proper place and harmony, as the old science fiction movies use uh, in a funny way, harmony will be restored to the universe. That's a real, literal thing that's going to happen. So, here's our first application. If Christ is the head of the body which is the church. And Christ is moving and bringing everything toward a climactic end called the reconciliation of all things. Everything will have its proper place. And reconciliation is going to include harmony and peace with God. What is the church doing under the headship of Christ to be a radical, peace-pursuing, reconciliation-pursuing church and 
Are there any irreconcilable differences in any of your relationships today? Where you know you need to reconcile with someone. How is it that the body then can have all kinds of irreconcilable problems that they're not dealing with, and yet the very aim of Christ and His blood is to reconcile all things for Himself and to get the supremacy through the church in the way the church is handling and dealing with difficult problems, sin issues, and offenses that we often have among us. See, reconciliation doesn't mean on a horizontal level, that there's never a problem. It means we are pursuing peace with all men. We are pursuing peace in the body because He has made peace through the blood of His cross. Then horizontally, the church that's to display and to embody reconciliation among themselves is the church that's after peace. We're pursuing peace. We are to love peace. We are to sow uh, the righteousness of peace among us. We are to incarnate Christ in the body. Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore as elect of God. We're putting on Christ and incarnating Christ to the world through what? Our relationships. Where they should see differences, offenses, being forgiven and reconciled. Because that's the role we're playing, at least in part, isn't it? In Christ, great project, we'll call it, of getting the supremacy in all things through reconciling all things to Himself. What role are we praying? We are pursuing peace. We are pursuing reconciliation among ourselves and with other sinners. So let us be a church, the body, which is connected to the head, who is on board and pursuing our role in this as God uses us to display Christ's supremacy in the world through a church that's forgiving, loving, and long-suffering and all the dispositions we find in Colossians chapter 3. And then also, we should be a church that is seeking to use the gospel to reconcile sinners to God. If that's the aim of Christ in part in the reconciliation of all things, which includes sinners, then the church has been given the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself and is not imputing their trespasses unto them, and He's given to the church the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if we have the servants or the ministry of reconciliation, then we're reconciling with one another, and we want to see people out of the world reconciled to God. And so let us be a church that loves peace, pursues peace with each other in reconciling again and again, and a church that loves peace by pursuing peace with sinners in the world. And the the only thing that does that is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. And transitioning, next we find personal peace. Reconciliation. We move from cosmic reconciliation to personal reconciliation. Verse 21, and you. See, he goes from universal to personal. Now, there's a couple things we need to understand transitioning. So we left out the, the demonic world of reconciliation. And what about sinners who do not accept or receive the terms and the conditions of peace? How will Christ reconcile the devils to himself. 
Well, reconciliation happens either by judgment or salvation. In creation, it'll be transformed to a new creation. In judgment, everything that opposes the harmony that His blood came to establish will be cast into outer darkness. They will be cast out away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His presence. So everything that disturbs brings tension, violence, dissonance, discord, and that's the opposite of peace, will be removed forever. And harmony and reconciliation will prevail forever. So the devils and all sinners are not reconciled to Christ in a salvific way, but He's going to sum up all things and the demonic world will be cast away. And Jesus will say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The departure is the removal of everything that opposes the peace that He is going to establish. So what about salvation? Now in verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Personal reconciliation. So now Paul uses that word that sometimes makes us comfort uncomfortable. He says, what about you? Have you been reconciled to God? That is a very important question for all of us to ask and all of us to answer. So there, there are three tenses to this reconciliation. First, sometime, which means formerly. Second, yet now, present tense reconciliation. And then future, you will be presented in the future, holy unblameable and unimpeachable, unaccused. Three tenses. Let's look at those. How is Christ going to have the supremacy through sinners who are reconciled to God by the blood of His cross? First, they were formerly alienated and enemies in their minds by, the preposition means that the enmity expressed itself through a life of wicked works. Paniros, wicked or evil. Now this can be perplexing for us because if you remember what you were formerly, you may think, now, I was a sinner and I, I did some pretty bad things, but I would never thought that my life was characterized as one of wicked works. Plural. Your life, 24-7, was nothing but wicked, evil Paniros works. It's kind of jarring, isn't it? I, didn't hurt, I, didn't, I don't remember hurting anybody. I mean, it was just me and what I did. I, I don't I hurt anybody. I, don't, I didn't rob anybody. I didn't kill anybody. Well, let's see what Paul means here. The word alienated means estranged. Like a spouse or a husband is estranged from his wife. What does that mean? He doesn't live there anymore. He doesn't communicate with her anymore. There's no intimacy anymore. He's moved out. So, this former way of living that produced wicked works was an estrangement, an alienation from God, and we were at enmity with God. The word enmity 
means to be an enemy, but it means odious and repulsive. You were repulsed with God. See, I don't remember ever really saying things in a, in a blasphemous way against God, words of hatred, as if I was talking to God, telling Him how repulsed I was. You were still repulsed by God. And a result of your estrangement and the repulsive mindset that you had, your whole life was one of wicked works. Starting when? From the moment. The Adamic transgression was imputed to you. How do I know that? Because alienation is the perfect tense. In a moment in time, in the past, in a moment, you were estranged and alienated from God. And the ongoing result of that estrangement at your conception, at the moment of your conception, you're estranged. You lived a life of wicked works. And they started to express themselves when you got old enough to to talk and to move and to do things. The nature, even at conception, of estrangement and enmity was there. Now let me give you a few verses that you're familiar with, and then I want to look at a kind of a case study, an Old Testament character that you'll find in 1 John 3. And we'll see what his wicked works were about. Romans 8, 7, For the carnal mind, so where where is the, the problem in the mind? The carnal mind is enmity against God, so there's, Same word for mind. And God doesn't say, you were an enemy of God. He said, your mindset, your disposition was at enmity. That's a state of being. That's a condition. You didn't go in and out of that enmity. Why? For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So we see the mind and enmity. Philippians 3.18, Paul is warning the church and says... For many walk, as I've told you before, and now I'm going to tell you even weeping. Paul wept over this. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Where is this enmity? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Their mindset, their bent, and their whole disposition is an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. See, mind and enemy again. Find this again in Ephesians 4.18 and then James 4. We'll go in that order. Paul will use the word understanding. It's the same Greek word for mind. He will say in Ephesians 4.17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you walk not as other Gentiles or unsaved people in the vanity of their minds, having their dianoia, understanding. Darkened, being what? Alienated, estranged from the life of God. So there he uses alienation, understanding, same Greek words. Through the blindness that is in them, because of the root level is a darkened and blind heart. And then lastly, James 4.4, James says there, Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity against God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And then in verse 8, he connects this enmity with a mindset when he tells us the remedy for this enmity. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Where is it that this enmity is when you're a friend of the world? Double-mindedness. So it's still, it's still, James says, it's the mindset, it's the bent, it's the disposition. What is this mindset that makes us all formally, or perhaps even now, you still are an enemy of God, which God offers the terms and conditions of peace right here, right now. All right, 1 John chapter 3, this Old Testament person is Cain. Okay, 3.11 and 12, John says, This then is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and he slew his brother. Wherefore, or why did he slay his brother? Because his own works were paneros. Evil, same Greek word, wicked, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not if the world hate you. Now notice, the wicked works of Cain are not identified as the murder itself. Surely that's one of the wicked works. But what John is saying is that prior to that, the reason he killed his brother is because up to that time, it was wicked works. And that act included it, but this is preceding the wicked works. So if we look at the life of Cain, which is a, just a snapshot in the Old Testament, Genesis 4, we just have a few things to identify his wicked works. One is, he tilled and plowed a garden. He threw seed in the ground. He cultivated it. He worked it. He weeded it. This is after the fall, so I presume there was weeds there because... That was the impact of Adam's sin. He maybe put those stakes in the ground, those cages, and so that the tomato plants don't fall over and the beans go up the right way and they don't lay over. That's a lot of work. I let a couple of my daughters take care of the garden at my house. They do a great job and I kind of watch and see what's happening, but they do all the work and it's a lot of work. So he plants the seed, he tills the garden, and then he decides, you know what? I'm going to go worship God. I'm going to take him an offering. And so he takes the fruit of the ground and offers it to God. And God says, I don't accept that. And he's wroth. They say, well, that's it. It was when he was wroth. No, it was the worship. Everything he did 24-7 was wicked works. Before he killed his brother, surely that's a wicked work. That's not harmony. That's not reconciliation. Even when he's working hard and bringing that offering, he is bringing nothing but wicked works to God. Because he's bringing to God an alienated and a mind of enmity that was working itself out continually in nothing but wicked works. That's what you were formerly, whether you remember it or not. Because the Bible declares it. So if you were converted at a young age and you don't remember, just go to the Bible. And if you receive what the Bible says what you were, you're on the right track. What was the enmity? Well, if John says the message is love one another, what does he always follow is the root, root issue? Love for God. Cain was repulsed. By God. 
He was indifferent. He didn't love him. He didn't desire him. Now somebody may rightly ask the question, what is the big deal? I mean, okay, you don't love God. I mean, people don't love each other all the time. Just get over it, right? Oh, I'm sure there are many sisters in this room who've had the occasion where some young man set his affections on you. And you gave that young man what I call the double barrel. Maybe that's not used anymore. You, you get the imagery. You shot him down. <laughs> now, now, how many, I know, raise your hand, men, if you've ever been given the double barrel. I'm surely not the only one. Come on, don't be embarrassed. All right, you younger guys, give it time. You're going to get the double barrel, maybe. Now, you sisters, try as you may. You try to lessen the burden. You try to make it as, as comfortable for the young man as possible. And you say ridiculous things like, I just want to be your friend. Why are you laughing? Because that's what you've done. And then you say things like, well, you're just not my type. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's really the, the woman's problem then, right? So she wants to believe that. And then the, the real thing is, you just wouldn't be happy with me. Right? No matter how you express it, you're saying one thing and one thing alone. You're not worthy. You're inferior. There is nothing about the way you look. There's nothing about your character. There's nothing about your humor and your personality that in the least sense interests me. I'm not recommending you, you say it that way, women, but that is, the, that is the upshot. Just admit it. There is nothing about you that is attracting and is worth it. And that's what you said to God. You said to the Impeccable, holy, spotless, pure, holy, merciful, good, in a class by himself. There's nothing like him that sparkles, that shines, that endures forever. And you said, by your own alienation, you have no worth to me. That is treacherous. That is treason. That is condemnable. That is damnable. That is why the wrath of God is coming. What Cain brought to God was a heart of self-love. And he will use God. He will speak to God. He will come to worship to get whatever he can from God. But he has no interest in the worth and value of God, beloved. That is what enmity is. And it's in your mind. Even your indifference is damnable. I said that years ago and a lady got upset with me because she recognized she had family members that were indifferent to God. And she thought the only enmity that's really damnable is when you really say bad things about God and you really are against God in an open, shaking your fist at heaven way. No, your indifference and disinterest in God as a suitor is He's not worthy of your affection. And for that, we are condemned in Adam and we've expressed it through wicked works again and again and again. Because wicked works are not just those we hurt other people, it's those where God's glory that He has revealed to every human being. Who has He not revealed Himself to in some way? Name one. 
everyone knows something about God. And they've taken the glory of God's value and said, give me a five-cent gumball in exchange because he means nothing to me. You were formerly alienated and an enemy of God in your mind. And your wicked works is that you went through every day of your life with no thought of God whatsoever because he's just not worth it. Now here's the best word, in the, second best word in the text. Yet now. Now. What has God done? Now. Now hath he reconciled. All right, how did that happen? One, through the blood of his cross. Jesus came as a substitute to redeem by bearing the wrath of your indifference, of your repulsiveness toward God. That God was odious and had no value, no worth, and you didn't even say, you didn't even want to be his friend. And he bore the wrath of God for you. That should put some iron in our singing. Even when we don't feel good, just to remember God in an act of amazing mercy to rebels who are just like Cain because there's no difference. Romans 3. There is no difference. You're not different. You're just as bad, you're just as much a rebel, and you were just as indifferent. And yet God came, and He brought reconciliation to you. Sometimes you sisters have a change of thought, don't you? You see that young man again, you do a double take, what was I thinking? I don't know, maybe he got buff or... Changed the way his hair was fixed. I don't know. But you're just like, whoa! God changed your mind by grace. He changed your disposition. He changed your bent. Not that we had to, God had to dress Himself up to make Him look better. No, the problem was on our behalf, beloved. Our eyes, our mind was distorted and polluted And He gave us the purity to see the gospel. And so that's why Titus, Paul says to Titus, but after that, the kindness and what? Love of God. What were you in love with? Yourself and created things. Now the gospel brings the love of God in Christ Jesus. He saved us not by works, but by His mercy. He saved us by the washing, cleansing of regeneration, You know, I can see and renewing of the Holy Ghost that He shed on you abundantly in Christ Jesus. What an amazing gospel. He he should have just let me go. He should have just let me perish forever. But He didn't. That's amazing. Is Christ supreme in your life? I didn't ask you if you're a sinner. Are you pursuing His supremacy with a worth that He deserves? 
then don't let this day pass again and be just a hearer of the Word. Don't let it happen. Be a doer of the Word. And what God is calling you to change as it relates to the supremacy of Christ, make the change by grace today. Don't walk out of here unchanged. I wish I could tell you I've never done that. I don't want to walk out of here this morning just giving you a sermon and coming back giving you another sermon. I want to be changed by the love and the beauty of God that now we are reconciled. He's called us by His gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing, beloved. So formerly alienated, enemies... And our mindset, now reconciled. Let's go back and check those verses again and see if we can find the love of God there. Remember Romans 8, 7? For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither he can be. What is the law of God calling you to do? The law of God. Love God. There it is. The enmity of the mind, you didn't love God, so you couldn't be subject to a law that demands your love. You cannot. It's impossible. How do we read Paul's language except the way he says it? What happened? God brought His love to you. He brought it. Philippians 4, or 3.18 For many walk, as I've told you in the past, now I tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's link two things together. Whose God is their belly? Who mind earthly things? When your God's your belly, what are you doing? You put everything in it that you love. And that satisfies your gut. You just suck it all in because that's what you love. Have enmity, mindset, love. James 4.4 4, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity against God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is God's enemy. Where is love? An adulterer? What does he do? I don't love her. I love this other woman. Or I don't love him. I love this other man. An adulterer is found what he thinks is a superior love. That is alienation and enmity. What has God done? He's overcome your alienation. He's overcome your enmity. By writing the law in your heart, which is the law of love, so that you know His supremacy. So that you say now to the adulterous woman, you're not worthy. He is. So that you can now say to creation, you're not worthy. Although we use it, He is worthy. He has the preeminence. So what does it mean for God to reconcile you? in your mindset, is that you see His love so valuable and delightful that it becomes the power now to resist would-be suitors who are not worthy of the superiority, of the supremacy, and of the preeminence of Christ. That's what He's done. That's what we're to be pursuing. That is our fight. That is how Christ, in part, that Paul unpacks in this letter in much of the Bible, how his preeminence is the power in our mindset to be overcomers. So what does that mean we should do in application? Renew your mind. 
If He's given you a new mind to see and to know and to love, then we be, need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Ephesians 4, 23 or 24. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're like me, you can say with all honesty, you know, sometimes I, I'm not experiencing the love of God. It's, it seems like it's, I'm dry, I'm cold. And I have to say, am I renewing my mind? Well, sure you are. You, you preach. Am I renewing my mind? Well, yeah, you're, you're in the Bible. No. Am I really renewing my mind in the supremacy and glory of the person of Christ and reconciliation, which is why? Relationship. I can read the Bible all day long and have no relationship with God. That's kind of a frightening thing, isn't it? If you were estranged from God and you didn't live in the house and you were a non-participant like a husband is estranged from his wife and now you're reconciled, what do you do? You come back into the house and you start talking to her. When's the last time you talked to God? You enjoy her. When's the last time you enjoyed God? You have close intimacy with her. God has given a book for us to do that. And He's given prayer. He knows you can't do this without Him. You know it in your own experience. How sometimes you read it and read it and it's dry. Ask Him. Knock. Seek. What's the promise? He'll open. It'll be found. You'll receive. The aim of this restoration of harmony with God is that we come into His kingdom and we come in to the banquet with God and we actually seek to know Him and to have relationship. I don't know about you, beloved, but I need to be reminded of that all the time. Just the week goes by and the events and the activities and the thing that captures my soul and all of a sudden, where is my relationship with God? It's by faith. And so from estrangement to participation, like the prodigal son who estranged himself from the father, he comes back and he's with the father. Don't be like the older brother trying to work your way into fellowship with God. Come into the house and participate in the life of God. That's his aim. Now that's what's so glorious about now reconciliation. He wanted you to come know him and to relate to him so that you would be the beneficiary of his love. Rest assured, no matter how your mother and father told you when you were young, you're special to me, you're special to me. I can't even tell you how special you are. Now that's true, and you are. Beloved, you add nothing to God. In this relationship with God, he gets nothing out of the relationship. You understand that? When you give him glory, you change nothing about his essential glory. You are the beneficiary. So benefit from Christ's death. How would I do that? Come. He said, come, beloved. Do you believe those words? He invites you to come. Why? Why are you not coming? Is it because you're still alienated? And you're an enemy of God because everything He created is far superior and of greater pleasure to you than He is. And friend, I must give you a warning. 
if that's where you stay, if that's where you go, you will perish under the wrath of God forever. I say that as a faithful minister of God's Word because that's what He said. He promised it and He's going to deliver it because He's going to cast into outer darkness everything that's against His peace. Everything and every person and every demon. But today is the day of salvation and He offers you peace. Will you accept the terms and the conditions? Come. That's, how, how hard is that? Come. Let not fitness cause you to linger. The fitness of the fondness of being fit. Say, so, well, I, when I clean myself up, don't let that hinder you. When I, when I start doing good things, don't let that hinder you. All the fitness He requires is that you feel your need for Him. That's it. So either you don't need Him or you do. Praise be to God for His unspeakable gift. And then we'll close and we'll pick up the last one this afternoon. We'll close on future reconciliation. See, this is not over. Now it's not over. I said now is my second favorite word. This is my favorite of this text. Future. In the body of His flesh, through death. That's how the reconciliation happened. That's how you come into relationship with God. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. That's relationship. This is the the language of a wedding ceremony, isn't it? When the, the bride is presented to the groom. And so there's going to be a divine presentation You'll find the same language in Ephesians 5.27 concerning a husband's love for his wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may present it to himself without any spot, any wrinkle, or any such thing. Let's look at these three words and think of it in the context of a wedding ceremony. We're kind of in the engagement. The church is in the engagement phase This engagement is not going to be broken. Verse 23 is going to tell us that. It will not be broken. But we will have the divine wedding ceremony, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we'll be walking down the aisle. And first, the Bible says, you're holy, pure, clean, spotless. I'm told that's why a bride wears a white wedding dress to symbolize that. But you know like I do, they're not holy. You know that, don't you? Not in the sense of being pure. They're sinners. The glorious thing here is that when we walk down the aisle, we will not be wearing a white wedding dress. We'll be wearing robes of righteousness. And they're not ours. They're His. He freely gave them to us. By faith, we receive them. That's better than a white wedding dress. It means His holiness, His righteousness has become us, ours. He hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And the, the Bible presents that in the Old and New Testament over and over again as robes and clothing of righteousness. We have them on now. 
And God is dusting the sin off along the way that's still there. But one day, we will be pure and holy in every sense of the word. He's going to present us holy. Ephesians 5 says that too. Next, He's going to present us unblameable, which means faultless. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes. It says, faultless stand before the throne. I think you just ought to belt that out when we sing it. Faultless. Faultless. How is that when I... There's so many faults I have. We say that about each other and ourselves, don't we? I have so many faults. Yes, we do. But in your position, you are faultless. And He's going to present you faultless because you have His robes of righteousness on. You will be faultless before Him. Faultless. No no fault. No fault whatsoever. Because that's what the prerequisite for heaven is fault. The blood of Christ has washed you white as snow. You are faultless. And on that resurrection day, your new body will be completely pure, white, and faultless. And in this word, this is... This is one of my favorites of the three. They're all just great words. How do you rank them? Unreprovable, unimpeachable, unaccused. You know you can be accused, don't you? There is a lot to accuse you about. There's a lot to accuse me about. On that day, when maybe the Holy Spirit says, who gives this woman to be this man's bride and the father says I do I pick them out for my son and maybe the Holy Spirit says is there anyone here that can speak and say why these two church and head should not be wedded forever and ever and ever and the devil's going to say yeah I'd like to say a few words he's a fornicator He's an adulterer. That man's a liar. That man's done drugs. That man's a homosexual. That woman's a harlot. That person's self-righteous. That man's a Pharisee. That man's a publican. And the reality is, he's going to be right. He's going to be right. How is it that we will stand unaccused? Because Isaiah 54, 17 says this, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against you in judgment you shall condemn. How? This is the heritage of the Lord, heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is of me. What does that mean in Romans 8, 33? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, the devil. We just said it. Anybody that knows you, your wife can charge you, your husband, your children, your parents. It doesn't take the devil, right? It is God that justifieth. Case closed. You know, people can get all upset about the Supreme Court and think they're going to pack it. You don't pack this court. It's packed. Isn't it good to know there's no higher court to appeal? What he says goes and he says they're mine they're justified case closed who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died 
yea, rather, is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, which means no, none of these things. For you're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Loved us. Beloved, one day the divine presentation will be Christ will receive you because God has chosen you and the Holy Spirit has sanctified you and He will receive you into the marriage supper of the Lamb where you'll be holy, unblameable, and unaccusable in His sight forever and ever and ever. What manner of persons ought we to be in holiness and all godly conversation in light of the fact we have been so loved by God and yet we return Him so little love? Search your hearts today, beloved. Don't let this day go by. Don't let this message fall on deaf ears. Examine our hearts and say, God, oh God, what do I need to do to please you and to glorify your name? He's not going to tell you to run a thousand miles. He's not going to tell you to to storm some uh, uh, garrison and, and do some heroic thing. He's going to say, humble yourself in the sight of God and come to me and he will give you rest He will give you peace. He will give you the benefits of knowing Him. Will you come? Will you turn back? Will you examine? Will you look? Will you see where God is calling you to pursue more joy in Him through the amazing, gracious love of God our Father? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your amazing love. We we stand before You amazed in your presence, our mouths just gaping open, even as we consider our sins now, even as we consider there are multiple ways in which we have not honored you and glorified you. There are ways that we need to change when we leave this place. And Lord, we pray that that change would take place in all of us. Notwithstanding, none of these things can change the rock-solid place that we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because you have loved us and you've given yourself for us to be your holy bride. From heaven you came and sought her to be your only bride. With your own blood you bought us, and for our life you have died. Thank you, Lord. May our hearts overflow and swell with love and delight and joy at the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.